Hey everyone, it's your podcast producer Casey. Just wanted to let you know that as of March 1st, 2024, this podcast has had nearly 89,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners in 95 different countries. The website, facultyfactory.org, has drawn over 41,000 web visits from users in 122 different countries. I tell you all of this just to underscore the point that this truly is an international platform and we want to invite you, no matter where you are in the world, to be a guest on our show. Our host, Dr. Skorupski, makes the experience very engaging, relaxing, and fun. As producer, I'll make any of the edits that you might need on the back end before we publish it. We want to hear from different faculty around the world and learn from each other, so please reach out if you'd like to be a guest or to nominate someone in our academic medicine community to be a guest. You can visit the Contact Us page on facultyfactory.org to send us a message or contact Dr. Skorupski directly at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skorupski sitting here at Hopkins looking at my friend and colleague, Mr. Johnson George. Hi, Johnson. Hey, Kim. Happy to be here. This is exciting. Right? Round two, frequent flyer friends, Mr. Johnson George. He was back on the podcast almost four years, actually, a little over four years ago. Episode number 41, you might want to check out Johnson George. Let me tell you who he is. He is the Assistant Dean of Administration and Faculty Affairs in the Office of Administration and Faculty Affairs at the McGovern Medical School at UT Health Houston. Go Texas. Almost over, over, over four years now, right? Almost five years, Johnson, right? It sure is, Kim. And thinking about it, and, and you know, one thing, I'm, I'm really happy to you know, back in this podcast with you. I have always enjoyed talking to you. We've gone a long ways. And what I like to talk about is, at least to share with you, is those four years, the past four years, the way it has gone, you know, for us. So as you remember, I think I came from Mississippi and I joined UT Health Houston and uh, been here as a, I came here as an executive director. And as you called out, my, I'm an assistant dean now. So that to me was fascinating. That is really interesting. And I'd say this to make a point. I have a lot of my professional colleagues, the staff, what we call in GFA, the group on faculty affairs. What I want to tell my colleagues, my friends, is nothing is impossible, right? So we, um, we, you know, we were called, you know, we are professional staff. We support a lot of things that happens in the faculty affairs world. Uh, we know what it is needed. We support our deeds. We make things happen. But ultimately, the hard work pays off. The knowledge that we have gained through the, you know through our journey with GFA, um, you know, it really pays off. And yeah. to me, I love GFA. I think I think you mentioned this early on. Um, I I have a you know very different background from a lot of my friends and my colleagues in in the faculty affairs world and development. So I came from an IT background. Computer science is my thing, but uh, I figured out that's probably not my cup of tea. And here I am. You know, Dr. Smith introduced me to faculty affairs world. I loved it. I've always been a people person. So I've been an IT guy, or at least started my career as a computer science professional in the programming world, um, you know, rose to the project manager, program manager, whatnot, and ended up running or doing an ERP implementation at Mississippi. Mm-hmm. That's where I got to see Dr. Smith and who's hired me into the faculty affairs. Well, I'm just giving this little glimpse to, uh, if someone hasn't heard us before, for them to understand. How did someone from an IT background or a computer science background land 
in an entirely different academic medicine, faculty affairs world, what is he doing here? Being right. an assistant dean of right. the administration right. of faculty affairs from IT, computer science, software engineering, it is amazing the possibilities. I so love when you I, give that example. Right. When I when I share the story with my, you know, when someone asks me, okay, you're not an MD, you're not a PhD. How did you, what is this? How did you get into this? So I tell them, I said, there's a story behind this, right? And it's always interesting to hear the stories. The narratives are always beautiful when you hear from people. And it is those experiences that count uh, for many of us. I think especially for the ones who love what we do, those experiences really matter to us. And in, in my, all, I've always thought about my family in GFA as uh, I think I mentioned this to you, the professional staff, it's been my close family. Anytime we meet in our professional conferences or whatnot, when we still stay in touch, I mean, it's a large family that we have spread across the United States and across the other parts of the world. So to me, one message I really wanted to, um, through this journey that I've had, what to convey was, we, as a professional staff, what we do is very important and matters to the GFA. Everything that we think about, we support our deeds, we support our faculty, we bring those ideas to fruition, we make those things happen. And having that analytical mindset of, you know, really has played a role into where I am right now, too, to be able to think through that and make those things happen. Right. And I, I love that. I think to me, I love that. And it's a recognition, too, from, from UT Health Houston, Beckham Medical School, and they promoted me to an assistant dean. It's truly a recognition um, of recognizing what I've brought to the table. Okay. And that's important. And, and that's my message to my friends, too, in, in the GFA world. Um, I have, you know, we have this mentoring circle scheme. You know this. Okay. So we do the circles, right? So this is where this things get interesting. We get a lot of our people that we meet with, new, you know, new ones to the, uh, the individuals who are very new, brand new to the uh, GFA. And our goal is to, to help them understand what GFA is, what we provide, what are the things that we can do, and opportunities for growth. What mentoring circles does for us is also, as mentors and mentees, it creates opportunities for development for both sides. I love it. And I've seen where the you know for people that I've met with have now become uh, associate deans um, or they have gone up to be directors of which one the offices are, which is fascinating, you know, which is fascinating to me again. I'm gonna repeat this, okay? So is that this mentoring circles is truly a, a, a platform for us to build on each other. And I was talking to one of my faculty the other day, and the coin, the terminology this individual used was people builder. People builder. Oh, people builder. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. You know, who are we? Who am I? You know, do do we 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 actually build those bridges for our faculty? I mean, we are like a bridge. They, you know, we make those um, situations or happen for them when they need us and when we, we go to them and ask them. So to me, I think I wasn't called a people builder, but I think, you know, this individual was using the term to self-describe because that is the passion is to talk to people, to make things happen, the people building. So yeah. to me, I love it. I love it. To me, I think that's what GFA is defined as. All of us in the GFA are people builders, if you look at it, yeah. because everything we do is all about people. You touch yeah. them. We touch our faculty, we touch each individual. It is, we encourage them, we build them upon. I mean, you know, we talk about faculty development, what do you do? The whole concept is to give them those opportunities to grow. That's right. And how do you make it happen? Networking, 
and connections, all those things happen in there, right? So I love it. So to me, I think this has been a very interesting journey from where I was from to where I am right now. And in the meantime, in the last four years, I also took upon doing a, uh, pursuing a doctoral program. So I am a candidate now, which means I'm doing my data collection on the qualitative, so mine is a qualitative study, which I didn't realize it is difficult. It's not easy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know, the qualitative... <laughs> Yeah, the con may be much more, you know, I thought that was going to be a little challenging, but feel like, you know, one is to me in my mind now um, easier than the qualitative because you're listening. But what fascinates me is the storytelling, mm. is the qualitative study is where you talk to, you get to meet with people, you get to hear the stories, the narratives, which is very important to understand. Quantitative gives us the numbers, stats and all those things, but we miss out on the story part that human touch part, the human being part, which I love. So that's where I am right now. I love what I'm doing here. And then uh, what else happened? So I uh, got elected to the chair elect of the GFA. That's yeah. huge. That is that huge. Was a So I feel like I'm blessed. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very humbled for that opportunity. Again, this is a shout out to my, you know, you know to everybody at GFA that no matter where we are, who we are at, you know, GFA, the opportunities does exist. I don't. I cannot name an organization other than GFA who recognizes the talent that we have and promotes them within to those leadership roles. I think GFA is probably one organization that I've seen that does this beautifully. I mean, all of us. I mean, all you know, all our leaders who have we have seen and grown with. You know, they encourage that, which which is what makes GFA special. And you're right, Johnson. What I what that says to me, and it exemplifies that the AAMC GFA is was diverse, all about diversity, inclusion, and equity way before it became a hot topic, that we we embrace everyone regardless of professional roles and titles and background and training. It's people who, like you, who share a passion and a true, authentic need to serve faculty. And we all come together and it's just, it's it's from day one. So you're, you're exactly right. It's a beautiful community we have there with GFA. Yeah. And I remember this is something about being a giver rather than taking it in. Correct. I think most of the GFAs that I know, they're all givers. When I say givers, giving with time, talent, mm. you know, you need something, you reach out to them. I mean, a great, uh, you know, example is Alyssa. Oh my gosh. I, I share this with, you know, many people, at, new, at least the new ones that come to GFA and then say, hey, if you have a question, you put that on a list. I guarantee you, in the first four hours, you're going to get at least four to five responses. You four tell hours. Me, it's like five minutes. It's like, I, yes, I simply go. That, there you go. There you go. And I think that that's what makes us very different and unique right. and in GFA. And one thing that adds to that concept or to that idea is, it really allows people to love what they do, the passion that we have. We talk about passion every day, and, and we read about it all the time. The idea is you do what you love to do, and you'll never work in your life. And I feel like that I'm living that, that I get up in the morning. I'm not going to work. I just love what I do. Oh, and I don't, right? I don't, you know, to me, that's what makes it really happy for all of us. And I think that's a well-being concept we talk about all the time. Like, yeah, we, we all have different issues at workplaces. Things happen, uh, you know, personality issues. You name it. I mean, there are always going to be issues over there. But that's something you work with. But ultimately, at the end of the day, 
what is that that makes it special for you? Is that caring? Is it uh, that the spirit of giving or is the spirit of people building? What is it? What makes you happy? To me, just coming to the office or talking to my faculty, I just love it. I'll mm. I'll give you one example, Kim. Um, in our office, we, we, we do what is called an individual promotion plan consult, an IBP. Okay. The whole idea is you meet the faculty one-on-one and you understand what their career aspirations are and uh, especially targeting on the promotions and tenure part of it. And we talk to them about it. So, um, um, and I have had faculty, I mean, usually I give, you know, one of the deans, I think it's me or my other deans over here with me in the faculty pairs world. Uh, we give them 30 minutes is what we give them. I have had faculty who will sit with me for 60 minutes. I had one who sat with me 75 to 80 minutes. And the response they get me after they go back is this has been the one best or the wonderful meeting they ever had. And you think about it, it's not that I was great or the session was great. You know, session was good. I think it is a time that you gave them to speak. In this world that we live in right now, in the academic medicine, for the clinical faculty, for the research faculty, our instruction faculty, no one has time. Nobody gives them time. And if you do, you get that 15 minutes, and what do you accomplish? It's not a whole lot. I mean, especially if you're talking talking about your career development or other issues that are having at the workplace or whatnot. So to me, I think that is very important. I think when I when I see those kind of messages, it reignites in me that passion, or you know, it allows me to know, okay, I am doing the right thing. This is my purpose in life: is to be here and to serve my faculty, and, and irrespective of where I am. And that's that's me. I mean, I just like to be there, to be the network, to be the connector, to be the people builder, who, whatever it is. I just like to do that, and mm-hmm. I just love it. And and this platform, this where we are in in our time of life at this point, um, I think it allows us to help a lot of people. I think it does. I think you know, I'm, I'm truly blessed to be where I am right now in this position where I am where I can make or I tell people I can give you the connections. I can I can connect you between who and who and the rest you have to do it. And right. that's something very important. That networking is very important. Connecting, facilitating, that's so important. It's such a time saver when people come to a new ecosystem and have no clue. And you're so right, Johnson, just the sheer function of the sheer practice of listening to someone listening is so important it's as close to loving as you can get I remember something in my one of where I read somewhere that listening is as close to loving as you can get just being there with someone and hearing them listening it's, it reminds me of coaching you know listening for their values and their their purpose and their concerns and helping them think about and helping them plan and and encouraging them that you can do this and we are here for you and if I don't know the answer I'm going to Find somebody who'll help you out. I'm gonna. Don't worry. We we have you. It's like these circles. We 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 ourselves in the GFA have a network, have a safety net, if you will, of people who have us and our faculty. The same thing. We want them to know that we have you. We got you. Don't worry. Yes, it's yep. not easy. Not, giving a PhD is neat. None of this is easy, but you can do it. And we are here to help you. And yeah, that's just so fundamental to everything, right? Relationships, people. That's it. It matters. And, and if I remember correctly, four years ago, when you and I had this conversation or this podcast, um, we talked about empathy. Remember? Yep. We talked about listening. It hasn't changed. It still are those core values that we have to hold on to. 
especially in the field that we are in. I think, uh, but you know, it, this is interesting because we, people ask me, what does faculty affairs do? Isn't that the question we all get all the time? Yes. You know, what, what do you really do? I mean, people know what student affairs is. People know what legal affairs is. People know what HR is. But what is faculty affairs? So now you have to take the extra step to help them understand. It's a blend of everything. We, you know, we have a, multiple hats that we got to wear in all these things. I mean, you know, we need some, uh, someone needs a legal, you know, God forbid this, you know, personal issues that we have to manage. I mean, that happens all the time in our offices that we have to work with our faculty to help them recalibrate their position and bring them back to where we want them to be. Um, and, and sometimes I tell people, I said, it, it, this is almost like, I remember some examples that Dr. Smith uh, used to tell us. It only takes a conversation for people to understand what they have, or probably what their way of doing things is not the best. And if you tell them that, they will automatically try to self-calibrate to come to the right way. Because, you know, many times we do things that how we have been trained and how we have seen others, be it your, you know, it could be your culture, it could be, you know, wherever what it is that contributes to that kind of work or nature of doing things. And sometimes that not, may not be the most uh, best way to do it. Yeah. And, and sometimes it needs a recalibration. Culture mat matters a lot. Every institution is different. The culture is different. The language is different. The, how we speak, how we conduct ourselves, our mannerisms sometimes affects all those things. Yeah. And, and, it, it, and in this, uh, we, and we are very sensitive to all those things. All of us are. As human beings, we are all very sensitive to how you may ask me a question or how you may say something to me, which I might find offended, you know, but you didn't know that to you from where you came from or, you know, you and it's just normal things we talk about. But those cultural sensitivities, it's, it's important to know that. And I think we have an opportunity in this, in this field that we are in to yeah. help most of our, you know, our people that we work with. That's beautiful. Yeah, you're right, Johnson. You're making me remember all the stuff we talk about in our in our courses with our faculty about how you know the difference between intention and impact on in communication. My intention was this, but the impact was that. Or the idea that what got you here won't get you there. You know this idea. Well, I've always done things this way. Or um, this has gotten me this far. I've been promoted, so obviously I'm doing something right. But times change, systems change, cultures change new people come on board and to keep doing things the same way we always do things might work some places, but then when things get a little bit wonky, that's pause for reflection of let's engage my emotional intelligence, knowing myself to better manage myself. Did I have some tone in that communication in that email? Was that kind of crunchy? Um, knowing other people to manage those relationships, having the empathy, that this person, maybe I'm used to working with different people. Now I have a new staff person, a new colleague, and I can't just bark single word bullet point phrases at this person because this person doesn't have the, the background. They don't know me. They maybe think that I'm angry with them versus someone saying, oh, that's just the way Kim is. So it's always, I think where you're right, Johnson, we're in a constant or we should be in a constant state of having the radar out there to understand um, our impact and understand the the waltz of relationships that they always and all and even long lasting relationships aren't the same they change people grow people have different stressors and 
push points and tensions. And so being mindful of our impact and how others perceive us, it just take if you just take a moment, I think it will help mitigate a lot of problems downstream. But you're right, John, because we're always so busy. We're just blah 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 blah. And then yep. look back where we look over our shoulder and we're like, well, what happened? What are you talking about? Well, what happened was you yeah. were going 100 miles an hour. You weren't, you, your radar was down. You weren't sensitive to everything else. Well, you, you bring a great point there too. And, and I have to add this to what, what you just said, Kim, is the generational gap, right? We have seen, you know, in our academic medicine, we have that, that exists for us. And how do you manage that? How do you help our faculty among different generations? to manage that. That's always been a concern or, you know, it's how do we articulate and and tell them this is what it is, that emotional intelligence that you have to use. As you said, I think, you know, you got to switch on. But for me, that that EI, the emotion, should be on all the time for you to be successful, especially, you know, our physicians are, and I'm, I'm putting that on the focus because I think that's critical as you deal with patients or your researchers as the, as the participants for one hand. And for us, as, as we deal with our audiences, our constituents, I think it's very important that we always have it on, not at certain times when I feel like I should do it or not. Um, and, and to me, I think that you, you bring a really important point, emotional intelligence um, in, in, the, in the field that we are, and I think that should be to all fields, including yeah. you know, whatever we do here, and what we see outside, I think it's very important. I wish we all were mindful of that all the time. And sometimes I'll forget too, is to have to have that on all the time. Because you, again, as you said, I think we are all in the rush. We're just trying to move and we just trying to get through things and we just want to get things done and be done with it. No, yeah. that's that. But then you forget that I just stepped on somebody yeah. who may have been hurt because right. of what I just right. forgot that. You know, I, you, you know, it's so important that I'm a, an ENTJ using Myers-Briggs parlance. So extroverted, mm-hmm. intuitive, thinking, judging. And so I'm like, have this dominant kind of like leader, big oldest sister, big sister, bossy pants kind of person. And because I tend more toward thinking and not as much feeling, I am a kind of roll your sleeves up. My instinct is to say, oh. You know, it's it's three o'clock. Here comes Johnson on the Zoom. Hey, Johnson. Okay, so what we have to do today is A, B, C, one, two, three. Boom, 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 boom. And I have to purposely make myself say, okay, I'm entering a new Zoom room. What's this meeting? Who's there? What's it about? Slow your roll, Kimberly. Slow down. Hi, Johnson. How are you doing? Oh, my gosh. How was your daughter's recital? Didn't you just come back from Thailand, Rachel? Oh my gosh, what's going on with the the new, you know, construction over there, Sean? Taking those moments to look at people as, as people, as human beings, and authentically in, showing interest, not only is it good for the relationship, I find it's good for me. I feel my temperature goes down, my tension goes down, I get more relaxed, there's some laughing, there's some exhaling, like, Hey, at the end of the game, we're all just people here. We all have lives, you know, very complex, multi-layered lives and acknowledging that we're just not robots plowing through to-do lists. And I, 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 and I too mess up a lot, Johnson, when I'll be 
you know, multitasking and just want to go blah, 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 blah. And without realizing, I'd probably be realized, whoa, that's just someone going along their merry way. It's like they turned a corner and Kim Skorupski just slapped them across the face 10 times. And they're like, what was that? Oh, that's just Kim. That's just the way she is. Unacceptable. No. But, you know, I, I, I fall down a lot on that because of the frenetic pace or my feeling, feeling or thinking that I have to be push, push, push. So I like that lesson, that reminder you've given us, Johnson, to pause and remember what is the whole meaning of this. It's the empathy. It's the the humanity. And sometimes, you know, as you said, Kim, I think, you know, we are in a you know a race. I think, you know, we, we're trying to do multiple things. I mean, you, you know, you look at your calendar, it will be packed, and you're trying to accomplish, say, five or six items today. And if you don't get to those five or six, you feel like you did not accomplish what you set for for the day. And that dictates your path, you know, that you want to get it done. However, I think if we were to slow down a little bit, it is okay. It is okay. I mean, you know, you may not get everything today. And again, there are so important things that you have to accomplish. I mean, it's all dictated by your work and what you do. It's very important to do that. But it's a, once in a while, it is okay to think about it. So, okay, this project can wait. Let me focus on something else. And then there are times when you mess up. What I figured, you know, at least um, is acknowledging it. And, and, you know, to right away to acknowledge it, to whether it's your staff, whether it's your team member, it is whoever it is you're working with, to let them know you are sorry about that. I mean, whatever happened is you unconditionally apologize. There are no excuses to that. I mean, as a leader, I think that's a good trait to have, is to recognize that. And not many leaders have that. Because they would like to pinpoint right away to, oh, it was not me. I think I gave it to my admin and they messed up and they didn't do it. So mm-hmm. this is a classic example, I'll tell you what. I think you and I have seen this many, many times. And most of our faculty peers, faculty development colleagues have seen this, is for promotion or for career advancement or whatever it may be, we ask our faculty to provide us a good updated CV. Very simple, basic things. When the portfolio comes in or when the dossier comes for the promotion consideration and you're looking at it, there are items missing or there are items that were misstated or misrepresented there, not knowing whatever it is. And when you ask that, many times you what you hear is, oh, that's not what I gave to my admin. They must not have captured it completely. So my response to that has always been, who is the owner of that document? Is that your admin or is that you? Whose responsibility is that? You. So mm-hmm. acknowledge that. So if there's been a you know if there's been an oversight, if there's something that we missed, acknowledging it and not putting it on somebody else. If it's your fault, take it. That's mm-hmm. a good lead. It's a good trait to yeah. have. That moves things forward. So if they tell me, hey, hey Johnson, this is my own, this is my mistake. Fair enough. Let's just do the thing. Why don't you go update it? Send back to me. We'll take yeah. a look at it. Yeah, that's that. setting a culture. You're you're saying something so important, Johnson, and that is not only holding each other accountable for missteps, which we will all make errors, mistakes, whatever, but it's also setting a culture, a tone of this is how we do things around here. We own it. We claim it. Even if you know that the dean herself was not responsible for this project flopping, she didn't do it. She, the buck stops with her. 
she over was overseeing the team. So something happened that probably somebody else did. But for her to say, up, oh, mea culpa, I'm, I messed up. I take responsibility for that. We're not yeah. going to do that again. We're going to fix things. Whoa. Absolutely. What a message does that send when especially most people would know, well, I'm sure she wasn't the one out there collecting the data, coding it, analyzing it, writing the communication. Somebody else did it. But the fact that she stood up with a team and took the hit, that says a lot about character. So you're really emphasizing, Johnson, that it's not only for personal accountability and for relationship building, it's for setting a tone for culture that we all, that way it's safe too, right? right? You're not hiding anything. You're right. You're absolutely right. I think that, and and uh, that message you're talking about, you know, sending that message down, we always want our leaders to shine, right? And um, I've seen leaders, you know, and have, you know, where they would rather have the spotlight on their team than on them. What a phenomenal leadership that they have, right? Um, they want to promote others around them rather than themselves. And to me, those are the true leaders. And I've experienced some of them in my life, um, you know, and Dr. Smith. And, and, and I can name many, many people in our GFA that are selfless act that you see that. But as you said, accepting that on behalf of, like, you know, you use the um, Taking a hit on behalf of the team is what you said. It sets a very strong message. It sets that culture up there and says, we as leadership, this is what we want to promote. And we will work on it. We take responsibility for it, but we will make sure that this doesn't happen again. And this all goes back to the culture, the responsibility, the accountability, and the emotional intelligence to know that. Yep. And does it, I, yeah, I was going to say it all, it, it all roll back into empathy and values and relationships. And and re, and then people I imagine being witness to something so beautiful as good leadership like that would then have a sense of, okay, nothing horrible will happen if I admit, hey, Johnson, remember last month I told you I was going to do thus and such. Oh my gosh, I missed the deadline, or I said I did it, but I was rushing to do it and I messed it up, knowing that you're not gonna, you know, chop their head off. That okay, I this is something that we admit mistakes, no one's gonna lose control. We learn from them. So you, it creates this culture of safety that no, we are all grown-ups, we all take accountability and then we learn from it. We don't hide or point fingers, or it's not that kind of a cutthroat environment. So I think everybody, I don't know how you can lose in that kind of a. No, it does not. And, and, and one other thing that I will highlight on that subject or conversation is we need to be able to ask for help when we need it. Hmm. You know, many of us um, hesitate to ask for the help purely because we we feel like we ask for help, we are considered a weak link in the team. And I don't think that is true. I don't think that is true. I think you have so many phenomenal individuals that you work with. Their plates are sometimes getting stacked. I mean, you have seen this thing. I think, you know, it's kind of a taxation when you know someone is really good at doing things. You keep piling on the plate. Yeah. The competent person right? syndrome. They're comp- They're they're good. Ask them to do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and we have seen this among the minority faculty. You know, the minority tax we talked about. Yeah. It's all there. And we just have to, you know, know that okay, I can ask for help recognizing I need here. Um, if not, I'm going to slip on whatever work that I'm trying to do here. 
priorities, mandate priorities. I think, you know, we just have to keep building upon that. And so it's important to recognize that to have a leadership team that also acknowledges and supports you goes a long way. So it goes a long way both both ways. Yeah, you're talking another something else, Johnson, that's really important for us, I think, to emphasize, especially for early career faculty, people considering careers in academic medicine. I think some of that reticence to um, ask for help or to accept responsibility for a, a snafu or a, a mess up is that we fear that others will judge us not only as incompetent or a weak link, but like, yeah, we're not good at what we're doing, that we are somehow inferior, that we don't deserve to be here, that we shouldn't be here, that we're somehow, yeah, um, dumb or we're stupid. So I think that I don't want to confess when I make a mistake. I don't want to admit that I messed up. I don't want to ask for help. It's all somehow rooted in what we think other people think about us. We are really consumed sometime about how people perceive us we want to put on this facade sometimes of being perfect i don't mess up i don't need help i just work hard um i'm a good investment i'm a good person without recognizing that you're we're human beings you're human beings and of course you're good and smart that's why you're here i mean Unless you've come a complete charlatan and you faked your way through all of your education, of course you're smart, of course you're worthy, of course you're valued, of course. So kind of that exhale of you deserve to be here, you're okay. And we're in a constant model of evolution and growth. And this the most successful people are the ones who realize this is something that should be delegated to Johnson. He's the IT guy. He's got the back. He's got that brain and the science and the computer science and the software. I'm not going to get read five books or get another degree to figure out how to do something that Johnson can do in his sleep. So that's the beauty of a collaborations that Johnson, a quid pro quo, would you, you're good at this. Could you do this? And then in return, I'll do that. And voila, you're not going to think I'm dumb or incompetent, you instead you'll say, isn't she smart? But she recognizes my gifts and my strengths. And that's collaboration and back to relationships. Now, this is this is phenomenal. Um, again, I have to give you an example. You know, our offices, we deal with a lot of visas for our IMGs, right? I think the international medical grads who work for us, or the national faculty who works for us. Who do you think are the experts in visa? Not our offices. We have the Office of International Affairs. Yeah. I mean, it's always, um, you know, that's what I do. So I do. I get a question on OIA or any visa issues. To me, my first thing is, you know what? I'm not an expert on this. I do know things about how they process it, but I would rather get an expert opinion on what were the subject is or what the question is. So that way I contact them rather than me trying to figure out and going reading all the UN, UCIS policies and procedures, everything that I put up there. Hard to understand. Let the experts do their work and exactly. let them get that to us. And that's the benefit of having collaborative, excellent team relationships. You know, that's how all the team science is all about. You surround yourself with experts, good people that can give you the guidance you need to make the right decisions at the right time. Now, I'll one up you on a story, Johnson, to show you how ridiculous I am. I had someone here at Hopkins ask me, Kim, what do you know about visas? And I replied, 
Well, it depends. You got to look for a low interest rate. You got to pay it off every month. Try to get one that earns your points. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, what are you talking about? Uh, Visa, MasterCard, American Express? No, H1B. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a vaccination. I don't know anything about that. <laughs> so another point that we, you know. That's a good one. That is a good one. You know, they got that. Oh, my gosh. They probably thought, she's a dean? What is this? What's wrong with her? <laughs> That's a good one. Now, I, I think we all, you know, it's easy for us to get carried away when we hear a topic and say, hey, I can talk about it. I know what that means. And you come to realize you are poles apart on the topic that was put in front of you. And we just don't know that. Now, you know, it's interesting. But that's a good one. I have to remember that. What you just shared with me on the visas. <laughs> Which one are we talking about? The APR is 29.99. You know, that's what it is. Exactly. Exactly. This important establishing definitions. All right. What are we talking about? Let's make sure we're all on the same page. Basics okay. communications, right? How often I've been on calls or in projects with people and it's people with different mindsets coming in and terminology can be mean completely different things for people. And then they'll run, we're all running down the track to do the work. And the, at the end, the product is not what we expected because we weren't even aligned with what we were talking about. You know, we say, okay, everybody get, get, build a project about the visas. I'm doing credit cards. Y'all are doing, you know, immigration status visas. And I'm like, how did this happen? Hello. Cause we did not clarify our terms. That's why. That's why. Now this is great. You know, I, I think, you know, Kim, this this opportunity that you gave me, I think, you know, just to come back again and, and talk about things. I know we didn't have a specific topic in mind, but we, we really did touch upon a few yeah, critical, uh, you know, topics, which is fun, which is fun, right? I think it's it's kind of in a really easy conversations we have. And I know there are friends outside, you know, that will, you know, listen to us and probably have their own opinions on things that we have said. It's, it's true and it's it's natural for people to agree, disagree, you know, whatever it may be, however we think. But ultimately, I, I, you know, what I felt, I think, you know, when we started off with this conversation is my journey in the last four or five years has been exceptionally uh, great, very thankful, very blessed. And to know that we have the support in the, in the GFA, in places that we work, that is strong. And that is really nice to have. And, you know, as you said, I think we got you covered or we got your back. We hear that all the time, but it's true when we say we got you back, it is true that we got you back because there are individuals out there in our community who are willing to step up and to help you in whatever it may be. I mean, you know, I've talked to people who will, you know, I go back to mentoring circles, which is a phenomenal thing that GFA does for all of us. And sometimes you will have this off-site conversations where it is, Johnson, can I call you? Or Kim, can I call you separately? I just have to bounce some ideas with you. The beautiful thing about this is everything is confidential. I don't share those conversations that I had with these individuals with you or with anyone else. It's theirs. As I said uh, to someone this morning, it's your experience. It is you. It's not about me. It is all about you. What we talk about, share, stays within the four walls of this room and within us. Unless you want me to take it to the next level or unless it's something that I have to report to HR, you know, yeah. which now yeah, that you know, but it, it's it's interesting how we you know what we have done and how the G you know how GFA has helped me where I am today. I'm very yeah. thankful. Ultimately, I have to give credit to you know, where it is due. I mean, GFA, the leadership at UT Health Houston, uh, for recognizing the different things we do here and to recognize the talents that we have here. 
It's just not me. I mean, I'll tell you that the culture here is they do recognize and they do promote and they do bring up those and give opportunities for development, which is phenomenal. And not every place can claim that and not every office can claim that. But I'm thankful where I am. You know, was very thankful when I was in Mississippi. They did the same thing. Um, you know, phenomenal uh, culture there too with Dr. Woodward, the Vice Chancellor, and Dr. Smith. And then coming back here with my um, chiefs over here. It's, it's been a great, great journey. Yeah. And, and so thank you so much for sharing your, your journey, Johnson. And that's another reminder that it just, I don't believe in um, any such thing as coincidences. It just, there's meant, there's certain people, sometimes people discover their gifts and talents circuitously. And some people have a direct line and they know that they want to do something. I love your story of how you started off uh, in a technical science field and found yourself falling in love with faculty affairs and that how it just illuminated the reason why you were put on this earth. And that's we we are really fortunate in this space to not only have a community professionally, but then that allows us to come back to our home institutions and have that same passion and energy and trying to build community and relationships and develop our faculty members and try and help them to exceed their their most their wildest dreams and be more than they thought they can they could be so i think it's 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 it is a perfect job and i never even heard about it i never knew it existed and so like you i kind of came into out of this of a, an indirect route and it's been the greatest surprise of my life you know, so one of my faculty used the word serendipity, right? So it doesn't, you know, it it it, it is it is exactly that. You you know, you're there at the right time, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting how sometimes just that little flame, that little small, um, triggers everything else for you, and then now it, you just grow into that. You just grow into you just you know, you find the passion at that right moment. And you have people supporting you to grow into that. And I think that's what we have to do. To me, as Kim, you as a leader and, you know, a lot of our, our colleagues and everyone in GFA, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we help grow and nurture those talents and bring yeah. them up to the level of potential they can accomplish. Right, right. And, and that's pure level in there. And all the faculty members in academic medicine who are listening to this right now, Yes, we need you. We need the next generation to come up into the offices of faculty affairs and faculty development and help with new faculty orientations, everything from the beginning to the end, all the way from promotions and appointments and leadership opportunities to late career programming and pre-retirement, the whole life of an academic. We need you. We need you in this space. Uh, we need our professional staff. We need people who have this passion and this heart for this work. So you are a wonderful yeah, example the, of it. The faculty life cycle is what we define it, right? I think from, right. from the moment we, we start talking to them, recruitment time, all the way till the time, and we will be there. And we want them to be there with us at the time. That's beautiful. And that was a beautiful ending to this podcast episode. Folks, you've been learning from Mr. Johnson George at UT Health Houston. He's the Assistant Dean of Administration and Faculty Affairs. You can email him at johnson.george at uth.tmc.edu. Um, facultyfactory.org. Johnson, it's so delightful. I'm so happy to see you again. And we'll uh, we'll be seeing each other the next next year, hopefully. Thank you, Kim. 
and looking forward to you know our in-person meeting in, in New Orleans next year. Oh, thank you. Nola. All right. Thank you, Johnson. And if you want to be in the Faculty Factory podcast or know someone who should be, why don't you drop me a line? Thanks, Johnson. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.